0: Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. I would like to know what your thoughts are on zombies.
1: Um, like, am I pro zombie? Like pro con? Like pro zombie, anti zombie -zombie agenda?
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) what? Uh, so I mean, this is this is becoming a theme in in this series. Right. Yeah. When, uh, like. When when you hear zombies, like, what do you think of? Or the zombie genre? Or is it something that interests you, entertains you? Are you interested in the media, as I say? <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> so zombies, I think, out of a lot of, like, horror stuff, zombies are really scary to me. Like, I do not okay. like... Um, Human things that move in unhuman ways.
0: Oh, like that's
1: a specific thing that gets me. Like in the, I don't know if this is in The Exorcist or like, like when um, there's some horror. I movie. think the most well
0: run is Ring, The Ring, The
1: Ring. The way yeah. she, the way she moves, yeah, freaks me out. And I feel like zombies are very similar. And then also, I have this like apparently I have a lot of feelings about zombies. Apparently. I have this thing where. Like I feel like a zombie would be really far away from you, and then really close to you in an instant, and just like attack you.
0: Well, but there are there's a whole there are different genres of the slow moving zombies, which is kind of the more historical. There are different genres zombies
1: the within the zombies. Zo- oh my gosh,
0: genres. Darn it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Within um, within like there's yeah. Well, different... there's like slow
0: moving zombies. There's fast moving zombies, which is a la uh, like twenty eight days later, or something like that yeah, 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 so on 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 my end, i I think zombies are interesting. Uh, I've actually read a lot of fictional, of course, mm-hmm. books about zombies, but i yeah, I think it's um, I don't know, there's something about have you ever read uh did you ever read World War Z, the book, not the movie?
1: No, but there's a there the ad for like the World War Z video game okay used to have like high rotation on like free apps that play ads to like fund them and oh really zomb- that's a scary game it looks scary
0: <laughs> i really i like the book because uh i feel like with zombie stuff they sometimes they go more into the kind of like geopolitical part mm-hmm. of it like what happens when a society falls apart right. uh oh, and see? that sounds like super chipper but i think <laughs> i don't know i'm just i'm just like a nerd that's- like oh yeah i think that's kind of interesting i think that's like I don't know an interesting sub part of the genre this is a really bad non-answer like no, zombies so are cool I guess the political
1: aspect is the like pro-zombie agenda
0: <laughs> bringing it all around right <laughs> science is fascinating but don't just take my word for it join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone I'm Shane Hanlon.
1: And I'm Vicki Thompson.
0: And this is Third Pod from the Sun. All right. So our, our, our zombie discussion is appropriate because Halloween is creeping up mm. on us. Like one might say a huge lumbering <sighs> zombie. <gasps>
1: Oh, so not creeping up, kind of <laughs> drooling and lurching up.
0: <laughs> oh, we should just say like, keep going with this and just make this the whole episode. Uh, no, no. So it's uh, so so this Halloween season, we're taking the opportunity to explore some of the science behind the the spooky, the the sci-fi, the horror, whatever it might be. Uh, and so for this one, I'm going to bring in producer Molly McGee to explain more. Hi, Molly. Hi, Shane. All right. So what do I mean? I I don't know, I guess I can probably figure this out, but what do Mm -hmm. zombies have to do with today's episode?
2: Well, so today we're discussing the science behind the hit video game and TV show, The Last of Us. It's essentially a zombie story with a mycological twist.
1: Mycological like mushrooms?
2: Yeah, exactly. The world in The Last of Us has been transformed by a fungal pandemic that's caused by the cordyceps fungus. This is a fungus that can infect humans and it uses mind control to turn them into zombies who then spread the fungus to other people.
0: Okay, so so full disclosure here. While uh, scripted out this beginning for us and had this prompt where uh, I would essentially say like how far-fetched that is. And sure, maybe, but I gotta be honest. I mean, if zombies were ever to actually, human zombies were ever to actually be a thing, I could maybe see it being like this.
1: Uh, well, Shane, didn't you... Like, don't you have a PhD in disease ecology? <laughs> you teach a class in it. How can you say that?
0: <laughs> well, though no, this is a thing. So I do, uh, and I've seen some things, uh, but though in in other parts of the animal kingdom, and admittedly not in humans.
2: Okay, yeah, perhaps it's best that I talked with experts Teresa Mira and Tim James to fact check this fungus. <laughs>
3: My name is Teresa Mera. I am an assistant professor at the University of Michigan. I'm actually affiliated with the Michigan Medical School, and I'm in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology.
4: I'm Tim James. I am a professor in the Ecology and Evolutionary Biology Department at the University of Michigan, and I am the curator of fungi at the university's herbarium.
2: Wow, well, that looks, sounds super interesting. So... I also want to get onto our main topic, which is the show and video game um, called The Last of Us. So first of all, have either of you like seen the show or played the video game?
3: Not really. I heard that there was children getting hurt in it, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It is pretty dark.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it. Um... It was interesting. It's basically a zombie flick and um, there's a bit of fungi in there.
2: yeah, what did you what did <laughs> like
3: you th- familiar with the premise?
2: What did you think of the like fungi use in it? Were you like excited or were you kind of like, oh no, this is giving people the wrong idea?
4: Well, I mean I wanted more fungi actually. They didn't emphasize it too much. Um, graphically, you know, you see zombies and they're kind of like supposed to be infected with fungi and maybe have fruiting bodies coming out of them but it's it could be even even you know more fungal friendly and emphasize the (laughs) transmission of fungal spores and some of the fungal biology but it was really mostly a zombie flick
2: if like you were talking to the show creators or you were like you had some input into this show like what would you put in that you think would really like Highlight kind of the the challenges or the the horror of um, like fungal infection.
4: Well, uh, that's a good question. So they have this 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 young teenage girl, I guess, and the story is a, a wrapped around like you know she's immune basically. So they gotta like figure out what it is in her body that's making her immune, and that's you know that seems reasonable. Um, But then this other thing about like the antifungals or some other kind of compounds that we could use to, to maybe fight against them. That, I guess that's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, The, the, you know, the mycelium component. So like, and this is just an imagery thing. Like, so when they have mycelium worked in there, it's not fluffy enough for me. It's almost like really big and like octopus arm like. So, You know, that's not what fungi do. They're still always fluffy, tiny little hyphae that are always just, you know, microns big and you just, you know, a big fungus is just fields and fields of these tiny little threads. And I didn't get, you know, I don't see that they've gone that direction with the imagery. But I feel like the
3: lots and lots of tiny threads of like horrible mycelia, like this is also a horror show. It doesn't have to be like a a wet, octopussy thing and it can be spider web vibes and terrible <laughs> what is mycelium
4: yeah it's it's basically the body of the fungus most fungi some some of them are yeast some fungi are yeast like they're single-celled organisms that kind of bud and divide like that but the mycelium is that collection of the the threads the individual stringy cells that are all connected together it looks like a cobweb kind of creeping around in, in the substrate in nature. Mm-hmm. You pull you wanna see mycelium, you can like go to a dead log in the forest or a log and pull pull off the, the bark that's coming off and you'll see it there. Or you flip over a log and you'll you're likely to see mycelium. You pull up the leaf litter and the forest is full of mycelium many different species of fungi.
3: Or leave a piece of bread out for too long.
4: Mm. <laughs> also, Celia. Unless it's Wonder Bread. Why a student do that? Actually, my very first master's student was interested in sort of how, f- you know, foodstuffs that are transported around, like, could be transporting fungi. And well, at any rate, she, like, tried to um, see what mold would grow on some of these, like, uh, highly preserved breads. And no. Pretty much, like got it wet and left it in the bag, and you know, nothing grew on it.
3: I don't know whether that's good or bad.
4: Mm. Yeah, it's a little, I
3: mm. mean, sometimes when my like farmer's market bread gets moldy after two days, I'm just like, yeah, eight dollars. Yeah. I do not have time
2: to eat it all. Do you have anything else that like you would add to, you know, a, a fungi flavored horror show?
4: Well, you know, there's not much scientists in the show. So, like, I, I think they had the scientists to open the show, and then there's not any, like, scientists really fighting the battle. You know, they could have mycologists in there.
2: Yeah, the mycologists would be the first ones to survive. They know what to do. <laughs>
0: So I, I, I get where Tim is coming from. I studied uh, fungal disease and frogs and turtles for my PhD, uh, which is super exciting to get to talk about this on this platform in a way that's topical. Uh, but I'm I'm pretty sure that none of that would actually help me in a fungal pandemic.
1: Oh, don't say that. I think I think it would help you, and you might be in the top couple of people that I would call if there was a fungal pandemic. You never know when that PhD can come in handy.
0: Um, well, so I mean, so I'm, I'm handy handy, like legitimately, potentially, yeah, no, (laughs) wow.
1: Sorry, no, I believe (laughs) you are.
0: Well, no, in ways it could be maybe useful in survival Mm -hmm. ways, but probably not actually in like the sciencey ways.
2: I mean, having some fungal disease knowledge might help. For example, the fungus that was portrayed in The Last of Us is actually based on a real cordycep fungus that infects ants.
1: Okay, so how does this cordycep fungus cause disease in ants then?
4: You know, there is mind control involved, but w- the, the idea is that the fungus is, you know, infecting the insect potentially systemically, so throughout the whole body, and somehow the fungus is in the, basically the brain and chemically secreting some kind of chemical signals that are modifying the insect behavior. And that, you know, and I think that the story is that, you know, normally when, you know, pathogens get in a colony, those, those individuals kind of get kicked out. And so, in this case, the corticeps basically convinces that in- infected individual to leave and then go out into a place where it can then disperse its spores onto the colony. So, for example, like the individuals that are leaving the colony. And it, it's fascinating. They really don't know exactly how the fungus does it. But the, the insects will walk up the vegetation above the colony and then clasp onto it. Often like on the underside of the leaf, so the kind of pointing downwards and then the fruiting bodies will be produced on the individual will die after it claps onto the leaf. The individual dies, fruiting bodies are produced and the spores are produced, which then rain down on those those workers that are coming out of the, the colony and then they get they get infected and um, and that's how it's transmitted. Yeah,
2: it looks pretty so
4: like, we- that's bizarre. And the real mystery is like how they've evolved to produce some kind of signal to get those um, insects to behave that way. So, so it's kind of mind boggling.
2: In terms of human transmission of fungus, is there anything similar or is fungal disease just, just really different
3: within humans? I think the most of the human fungal diseases that people get are through airborne spores. So that's not not really changing behavior, but people are breathing in things like aspergillus spores or cryptococcus spores, and those things are sort of ubiquitous in the environment. There's not a behavior that's required. And then most of the time that's not being transmitted from person to person. Right. It's all like in the environment, getting into the lungs, but it's not really spreading from person to person unless you have really rare cases of like a lung transplant, right? So you get the whole thing.
2: So it's kind of just out in the environment already. Do people's immune systems usually,
3: you know, fight it off, no problem? Yes. So most of the time, people's immune systems are fine. Um, Cryptococcus is really associated with HIV AIDS patients. Um, Aspergillus can be more in cystic fibrosis. And there's a specific kind of of smoker, like allergic allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis, um, ABPA, and other sort of lung risk factors but most of the time people's immune system take care of it
2: yeah so it sounds like um in general it's not like a huge thing where um there'd be spreading between humans but would there ever be a concern for something like a fungal pandemic that's shown in the show
3: i have concerns about fungal pandemics but not like shown in the show (laughs) (laughs) that's that's fair we can separate those two out (laughs) So I guess one of the fungi that I work on right now is Candida auris, which is in the news a lot for causing outbreaks in hospitals. And that's going to be a problem because it's really hard to eradicate from hospital settings. A lot of times they are resistant to disinfection. Um, Some of the quaternary ammonium disinfectants that are often used in hospitals is resistant to those. And it can really spread in a hospital and is very hard to get rid of. The Candida auris is transmitting between people. So in hospital settings, it's going, it might be directly from patient to patient, or it could be from patient to surface to patient, right? There's been some estimates of just a really high fungal burden on the skin of patients with Candida auris in hospitals. It can. There's been some studies where it gets into the hair follicle, which means even when you wash it off, you can't get rid of it. And so then months later, you'll become positive. And so patients could come into a hospital, get colonized, you know, Decontaminate contaminate as best you can and still carry Candida auris out of the hospital into the community. So that's something I worry about in the dark hours of the night, but <laughs> I don't think there's any evidence of community transmission so far.
2: So yeah, it, I guess just clarifying my understanding, it sounds like these this fungus is somewhat more prevalent in hospitals and then it might be spreading like between surfaces and, and objects where... Is it spores that,
3: that are spreading it? It's just the yeast. It's um, Spore sort of implies a mating cycle, which we haven't seen yet. It's just that that can desiccate the yeast and they can survive on surfaces for months. And what is that infection
2: kind of like um, within people? So
3: most people that are colonized don't get fully infected. And so when I say infected, I mean like a disseminated infection that's in their bloodstream. And when they get bloodstream infections, it's very similar to other kinds of sepsis. So high fevers, a lot of immune infiltrate, sort of a very strong immune response to the infection. Mortality rates from studies that people have been doing so far estimate around 30% mortality if you have a systemic infection. And so one of the problems with that is that Candida auris is often intrinsically drug resistant especially certain strains and so even if you have it and we try and treat it there are some strains that are pan resistant so there are no antifungals that are effective against this and because it's often infecting people who are immunocompromised there's also no immune response that's taking care of it so it's bad news to get a systemic infection and that's why in a lot of places it's a reportable disease, so they, most hospitals have to send it to the state health departments and sort of track some of these outbreaks.
2: Right. And have these outbreaks become more common over time? Yes. Is there any, are there factors that are contributing to that? Um, has, has that kind of been investigated?
3: Candida auris was first discovered in 2009, so everything's happening since 2009. There's been a couple hundred percent increase in rates. Um, it's been found in all 50 states, I think. Well, not necessarily a full outbreak, but it's been reported. There's a couple of factors for what might be causing an increase. There could be more hospitalized patients, especially with the pandemic. There's been a lot of um, comorbidity between COVID and then also getting other infections. The potentially the rate of transfer of patients between hospitals also increases the spread. Or transfer of patients from hospitals to skilled nursing facilities and back. So I think it's the increasing population of people that are exposed with healthcare, and then hospitals are still sort of learning how to put into place screening procedures and infection control procedures that will take care of candida auris. So I think if there's a better better movement on those fronts, it will it will help. Now that we know that there's a problem, you can sort of build in the the protocols to take care of it.
1: So fungal disease can be a concern for some people and in some settings like hospitals, I guess. But it doesn't sound like it's on the scale of what is shown in The Last of Us.
2: Right. Both Teresa and Tim said they're not really concerned about a fungal pandemic in humans, but they are worried about fungal pandemics in other species.
0: Yeah, this is, see, it's all coming back. (laughs) This is my wheelhouse now. Let's, uh, Let's talk about chytrid fungus. Uh,
2: Yes, that's right. Tim actually talked about his research on chytrid fungal infection in amphibians.
4: This work relates to amphibians and the problem they have with uh, fungal disease called chytridiomycosis. And it's, um, it's kind of a major problem where it's caused some extinctions, definitely some species declines. And it's another thing where kind of out of the blue, all of a sudden... People notice the disease, they notice frog populations are declining, and then as soon as they get out there trying to find where is this disease and like where is it not, you know, within that tw- 25 year period, it's pretty much expanded everywhere. So the genetics also behind the disease really support this rapid expansion that basically, and it appears to have emerged out of Asia specifically, there were some strains there that have been dispersed the fungi themselves can't get around that well even though you know some of them make tons of spores Um, and you would think well you know they could get blown around across the whole world turns out like mostly they can't and it's really humans when they kind of get in there with their airplanes and their boats and start moving things around that you're bringing spores along with it and We've also been kind of looking at the role of the intercontinental trade of amphibians that had probably been responsible for moving some of this chytrid around. I mean, we've seen major pandemics happen because of the movement of fungi by humans. And the chytrid is one example. Another one is this white-nose syndrome. And that's another thing that just rapidly within 20 years kind of Spread across almost all of North America and decimated some some bat populations. We know that that was introduced um, probably from Europe single single strain introduced into New York, and from there it spread like wildfire mm-hmm. and y- you can go on and on about all these fungal introductions so you know and are we are we going to be lucky you know so the um, the North American chestnut pretty much driven to extinction, and that's one species, and there there are other you know amphibians that are driven to extinction. so are we so lucky or smart that we're going to avoid extinction from an infectious disease at some point? Not sure.
2: so one thing that I'm curious about that was also mentioned very briefly in the show uh, was that with a warming planet, the evolutionary changes that could happen in fungi would make them more likely to uh, be able to infect humans. Both of you or either of you talk a little bit about that. Tim, you want to
3: take this first?
4: Okay. Um, so speculation here, of course. So I think the answer is that there is some reality there that as we warm the planet somewhat rapidly, but you know, on the timescale of fungal generation somewhat slow enough that we can basically create this regime of selection for strains or you know mutants that can can tolerate higher and higher temperatures and so as we slowly ratchet it up um we're we're basically selecting for organisms that whose thermal maximum growth rates or growth tolerances will be you know, closer to the human body temperature, and and the point I guess that you know to make is that most fungi like it cold, actually. So most fungi, if you put them at the human body temperature, can't grow. And all those things that Teresa was just talking about, they can grow quite fine at human body temperature and even higher. But there be well, there will be organisms, you know, right on the cusp, right at body temperature. And that's their maximum. And as, as you know, we start to select for those, we're gonna be exposed more and more. The percentage of organisms that, can, that we're exposed to that can handle those high temperatures is gonna be more and more uh, thermal tolerant.
3: I think there's also some idea that there, a lot of the endemic fungi are spreading as their temperature range increases right so people have seen the expansion of valley fever and histoplasmosis in the US and probably other diseases in other places but there's also other things that humans are doing that are changing fungal spread sort of not necessarily temperature but i mean all of the like the kitrid work that temp's been doing i feel like a lot of that is caused by human intervention in the wrong places
2: It's interesting that you said like humans are really key to to helping the fungus and helping the spores like move around, and there already are like these fungal diseases that are impacting humans. Is there concern around like agriculture and things
3: like that? You know, being infected by fungus. Yeah, I mean, fungus fungi are one of the major causes of food insecurity and rot. Right, if you think about your fruit going bad, it's because they're covered in fungal spores. All this stuff. Um, I think about a lot of that agricultural work in terms of developing antifungal drug resistance. So one of the problems for uh, fungal infections is that there's only three classes of antifungals that people like to use, and that's a pretty small set compared to the dozens of antibiotics that are available. Part of it is the basic biology in that fungi are much more closely related to us than bacteria are. They're more closely related to us than to plants. So a lot of the core biological processes that we'd want to target are conserved. And so you know, partly the role is evolutionary relationship between fungi and humans, both being eukaryotes. Part of it is that there's not a lot of investment in antifungal development. A lot of companies no longer have antifungal or even antibiotic development programs. So that's hard. They require like a lot of investment and development and the goal is for people to take them and then be done with it. So maybe there's less money in this process. The there aren't a lot of anti like fungal focused vaccines. There's some that are in development, but it's not a huge population. And if you think about the things that we worry about, like drug-resistant bacteria, we're also gonna have the same problems with drug-resistant fungi for people. We use the same, a lot of the same antifungals on crops as we do on people, maybe like slightly different formulations but it's the same mechanism of action. And so I think there was a recent study that came out that showed aspergillus cases in patients had the same mutations as the uh, strains that were found in crops that conferred the drug resistance. So it's potentially from the same origin. And so people were getting infected with crops that had pre-developed, or infected with fungi that had pre-developed antifungal resistance because they were crop pathogens to begin with. And then they can also cause disease in people. So I think one of the features of the some of the fungi that Tim was talking about, the maybe that's different from other pathogens, is that he was talking about multiple extinction level events. And I think that's something we should think about.
4: I'm really worried about pandemics on, on agricultural crops. You know, we're relying so heavily on a certain small subset of crops. And they're often very genetically homogenous, like bananas, and those are clones. And we have current, you know, threats to them, especially like bananas. But in the past, we've also had things like Irish potato famine that was caused by a fungus. And, you know, you have a particular kind of like, you know, climate in a given year. Like in that particular case, the Irish potato famine Um, And the potato blight was caused by a particularly cold, wet year in a perfect environment. And then you had so much of the population dependent on potatoes for sustenance. And you get these sort of mass starvation events. We're cutting a pretty thin margin, I guess, on on how we grow food and feed the planet. So we don't have a lot in in reserve.
2: Yeah, kind of the the things that we rely on more than more than us getting infected. That's still a huge problem for us.
3: Yeah, I would agree that's a a big problem. And a lot of times when we think about human health, we don't think about that aspect of it. But it absolutely would change the world economy if there's a bad year on or a bad strain of rice blight or some of the like corn that we use would all get infected yeah i think i would agree with tim another thing to keep you up at night
2: (laughs) that should be the third season of the show just you're not worried about humans anymore (laughs) just all the food
1: started talking about zombies but i think fungal pandemics are much scarier and will definitely keep me up tonight tomorrow night the next few
0: nights i know i i thought i was done with nightmares from from my phd
2: no i don't think you're ever really done with those shane But to make things a bit less scary, in the conversation with Tim and Teresa, they emphasized that we can start preparing for fungal disease now through investing in research on antifungals and enacting protocols that restrict the spread of fungal disease.
1: Yeah, I guess that's a good point. So The Last of Us might even help raise awareness about fungal disease.
0: Or at the very least, it might prove for inspiration for a well, a zombie, sure, but maybe a fungal Halloween costume. Vicky, you're crafty. Do you want to work with me on uh, on coming up with something?
1: Sure. Uh uh, so what um what might that look like?
0: Well, uh so if we're talking about ch- chytrid, Kitrid. Okay. Uh, the amphibian fungus. And somewhat in a somewhat cruel twist of fate, uh, chytrid looks like tadpoles.
1: <laughs> oh, that's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> poor little guy oh
0: yeah you know it, it 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 really is uh so perhaps we'll come up with something more cheery or just go with maybe just kind of like the traditional zombie yeah attire costume mm-hmm. that makes um, sense i like yeah, that that's so- more
2: cheery than the fungus now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well see at least at this point it's the only fictional thing so we'll we'll at least stay within the realm of fiction and so with that uh, that is all from third pod from the sun
1: thanks so much to molly for bringing us this story and to Teresa and tim for sharing their work with us
0: this episode was produced by molly with audio engineering from colin warren and artwork by jay steiner
1: we'd love to hear thoughts about the podcast so please rate and review us and you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at thirdpodfromthesun.com
0: Thanks all. And we'll see you next week. It's, it's even, it's still funny that like you're still not turn your camera off and on again. See if it'll see if your connection will my camera, your camera, you're still frozen.
1: How do I turn my camera on and off? Oh, <laughs> there's a little camera
0: button. Oh, there you go.
1: Can you see me move?
0: No, and your face is just. <laughs> Actually, I wanna I wanna take a screenshot of this to show you later. Please don't. I'm doing it right now. Can I send you a picture? No, I can't send you a picture right now. Okay. Um. Anyways, it's just you just you, you just save look, it
1: and send it to me when I least expect expect
0: it. I will. All right. <laughs> it's just like you just look so done with me, which is so appropriate.
1: Oh. oh. Yeah.